Take your Bible with me and turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I always start the week with a plan. But I always think about the best laid plans of mice and men always goes astray is what it does. So I started off and my intention was to get down through verse 15 this week. I only covered verse 9 and 10. I the name of this message is uh, Every Believer's Hope Part 3. I almost entitled it, and you can give a subtitle to it because Ken read about it, and we're going to talk about it this morning, at the judgment seat of Christ. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I know that used to scare me to death, didn't it, you? I used to worry about it. I'm going to talk about that toward the end. Me and Kenny, we have a, a, a joint crossing the roads there, being both raised in Sabine Parish as children. But that, that used to scare me. It did. It, it created great fear and turmoil in my heart, in my mind, in my soul, until the Lord revealed himself to me. Taught me how he's just to justify the ungodly. Revealed Christ as my surety and my representative, my substitute, my mediator, my savior. And thank God my brother and my friend. And when he revealed all those things to me by his grace through his gospel, everything changed. Because I have a good hope through grace, don't you? I know I've got a lot of things in my life that aren't what I would want them to be. I know I, I, I've got an ache in my shoulder that's hurt me so bad. Pam's been after me to go to the doctor and get it checked on. I just keep, keep dealing with it. I can just barely raise my right arm. and it, I know it's old age is what it is. It's just getting older. You know, things just happen. But whatever comes my way, and I, I hope and I pray by God's grace, I, He will give me the grace to, to truly stand here. Whatever He sends my way, I have a good hope through grace. Don't you? And I tell you what, every believer's hope is the same as Paul's hope. Think about what he wrote to us in the verses we looked at last week. Now, he that hath wrought us for the self-same thing is God who also hath given unto us the earnest of his spirit. Therefore, we are always confident. You see that? We're always confident. Knowing that while we are at home in the body, what are we? We're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith. You see that? We walk by faith and not by sight. And here he says it again. We are confident. You see that? We are confident. Not in ourselves. We're confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. But he had a good hope. What? If everything comes unraveled and I leave this earthly body, where am I going to be? Huh? For the saint of God, the truly justified, sanctified sinner through the blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, I tell you what, to depart is far better. Not for us, but for them. I think about Paul's words to the saints at Philippi. He said this, For I am in a strait betwixt. <laughs> this is a troubling thing. What's a strait? Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better. You see that? And I tell you what, unlike you and me, 
The Apostle Paul, he knew what it was to suffer for righteousness' sake. He suffered not only emotionally and mentally like we do at times, he actually bore the brunt of it like our Lord Jesus Christ did. I'm grateful that we live in a society presently and we have rules and regulations and laws and amendments on the book that protect us from what these people, these religious people did to Paul and Peter and James and John and our blessed Lord and all the prophets before them. But he says, I'm, I'm torn. I, I, to depart would be better for me. Why? He'd get rid of all of that. It'd all be behind him. I, I tell you, we live in a crappy place, don't we? I don't know any other way to put it. This place is awful. It's good, but it's awful. I mean, I'm grateful for my life. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my friends. I'm so thankful for my church and my brothers and sisters in Christ. But folks, if you don't realize how bad this place is, and how evil it is, and how away from God it is. They talk about we're a Christian nation. Bull. Huh? We're religious. But by nature, this, this nation knows nothing of this God. And therefore, everything that comes our way troubles us in heart, mind, and soul. And he says, I could escape this. We could too, if the Lord's pleased to take us out. But he said this, listen, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is needful for who? For you. Why? What's the most important thing that any child of God can hear, that any sinner can hear? What? How shall they hear except one preach? Folks, ask yourself this question this morning. What is the most important thing to you? Hmm? Richard, what is the most important thing you love my wife I love my kids both of them I love my daughter-in-law and that little grandbaby I love that girl I love all you huh I do I hope you know how much I love you and appreciate you and think of you often I carry you in my heart and in my mind and in my soul every moment of my life I do But the reason that we continue, that I will, by God's grace, stand here and preach this gospel as long as he gives me the ability to do so is because I know that he is determined and pleased to use his gospel to call his people out. The young people here. The most important thing for your children is not a good education. You hear me? Get them a good education. I'm not, don't you go out here and say, well, Brother Richard said my children can be dumb. Now, I want everybody in here, I want your kids to excel and be as smart and go as far as you can in this life. But if you go as far as you can and you achieve as much as your heart's desire, if it takes you away from the most important thing of all, if a man or woman gains the whole world and loses their soul, what have they gained? What's important? Paul said, Woe unto me, judgment be unto me, if I preach not the gospel. 
tell you, the most important thing to you and to your family members and to your friends and people you come in contact with by God's providence is not how friendly of a person you are or how much they respect and, and appreciate you. It's the honesty that we go forth with with this gospel to ourselves and to others. And I'll tell you what, as we grow older and as I grow older in these old earthly tabernacles with all their aches and pains and problems and difficulties and, and as I continue and you continue to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth, this God-given desire of that better life, you know what? It shines forth in our lives founded on a good hope. What? For we walk by faith. By faith, not by sight. You think about it. Those Old Testament saints who are now in glory with our Lord, they never saw the Lord Jesus Christ with their physical eyes. They never heard our Lord Jesus Christ's voice. But you know what? With the eye of faith, they saw Messiah's day. And not only did they see Messiah's day, folks, they rejoiced in it. They rejoiced in it. In spite of every trial and every temptation that God providentially brought into their lives. And it's the same with you and me. Paul had emphasized that in the close of the last chapter, chapter 4, that we studied several weeks ago. He said, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man, what is it? It's renewed day by day, every day. Got up this morning, in spite of, I know I hadn't prayed like I should, hadn't studied like I should, hadn't done anything like I should. One of the first things that popped into my mind this morning was this. It's of the Lord's mercy I'm not consumed. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faith. I got up this morning, God's merciful. <laughs> Gave me another opportunity, another day to go forward. For our light affliction, Paul said, which is but for a moment. You that are older, don't you feel that moment? It is a moment, isn't it? It goes fast. We were at the fair last Sunday with Zoe. I was looking at the pictures of her after it was all over with. It's hard to believe at that little baby that we held just what seemed like seven short years ago. And now she was riding rides that I wouldn't get on when I was 15, 16, 17 years old and laughing. I was throwing up after I got off of it. It's gone by quick. Hard for me to believe I got a 42-year-old and a 39-year-old. I think that's right. Isn't it? And I tell you, you bat your eyes and yours will be that old. And half of it happened again, I'll be dead and gone. More than likely. Unless the good Lord in his providence. I mean, that one more time made me 87. I'm the old dude by then. <laughs> half of that, I'm 87. While we look not at the things which are seen, but what are we looking at? We're looking at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen, temple. Everything. Things that are not seen are eternal. And I'll tell you this much, those born of God realize more and more with each passing day that this earth is not our home, that we're just passing through, just like he wrote of those Hebrew believers. He told them, these all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, they were persuaded. 
Who persuaded them? God persuaded them. And since God persuaded them, they embraced the promises. And not only did they embrace them, they confessed the promises. What did they confess? That they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That's what we are. This is not our home. We're in another kingdom. <laughs> no, we're not. Yeah, we are. We're in the kingdom of God. This earth is not our home. And as we'll see today, this hope is, is the only true motive for acceptable obedience by those who indeed, Paul says later on, and he'll say it in verse 17 of this chapter, what are we? Any man be in Christ? New creature. New creature. Now listen to his words. Notice what he said at the beginning of verse 9. Wherefore, here's a word that a lot of people don't like to hear, but it's in here. What do we do? We labor. You see that? Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Let me read it to you from Young's literal translation. Wherefore also we are ambitious. We are ambitious. Whether at home or away from home, to be well-pleasing to him. Now, having established the fact of how believing justified saints do indeed endure tribulation and trial for righteousness' sake, including the death of their mortal bodies, which Paul referred to as, is this way he called the death of our mortal bodies a light affliction? Doesn't seem too light to us. Paul said it's a light affliction compared to what we have in Christ. As he wrote to those in Rome, as it's written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep to the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, even the death of our bodies, nay, in all these things, what are we made? We are made more than conquerors. More than conquerors through him that loved us. Paul now makes it clear that all those who have this hope they must by all means make it their main desire in this present life to please God in every single solitary area of their life. I tell you what, you just can't deny the reality of what the scriptures make so plain about all those loved of God. We love Him. You hear that? We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. I wrote this question down when I read that verse as I was writing these notes out. How did he love us? Huh? How did he love you? He told through Jeremiah the prophet, he said, The Lord appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved you with an everlasting love. <laughs> How do you love us? With an everlasting love. Therefore, since I loved you with an everlasting love, with loving kindness, you know what he does? He said, I've drawn you to myself. He's dragged us to himself. Paul wrote this to those at Rome, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When? When we were sinners. 
The Apostle John gave us a definition of what love is. God's love is. What is it? Herein's love, not that we love God. That's what the religious world puts all emphasis on. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. But the emphasis is not on his love to us. What is it? It's on our love to him. John turns around and says, here's love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son. He loved us. What, what kind of love? An everlasting love. And because of that everlasting love, what did he do? He sent his son, the propitiation for our sin. I tell you what, almost without exception, I would dare say 99.9% .9 of people sitting there bottom in a church today or church built a religious, let's get it right, a religious facility today have not one shred of a clue about what a, what a propitiation is. They just read them like words. Do you know what a propitiation is? Because I tell you what, whatever it is, he's been made it for somebody. What is it? It's perfect satisfaction to law and justice. Somebody, somewhere, has had this glorious person made satisfaction for them. And God is well pleased with them because they in him. You hear me? Eternal life, salvation, is to know and it's to possess the love of God. Christ said to a group of Jews, you have not the love of God in you. I tell you what we got in us. Eternal life is to know the love of God and freely possess the love of God bestowed on sinners according to God's mercy and His grace. Paul wrote this, And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God, listen to this, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. What's shed abroad in your heart this morning? The love of God. You know what you need to substitute for that love of God? That's Christ. That's the love of God. This love of God found one place. Where's it at? It's in Christ. Christ said, Thyers come, glorify thy son, that thy son might glorify thee. Giving him power, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now you listen to me closely. Those who have had the love of God shed abroad in their heart by His Holy Spirit, you know what they do? They love God in return. You hear me? Now they do. And when I think about that, you know, God's given us, He doesn't leave us clueless on these matters. He gives us examples. And when I think about the love of God and our love in return to God for this great love that he showed on us, I think about that woman that, that came into Simon. Remember Simon the Pharisee? I looked it up to make sure Simon was a Pharisee. And Simon the Pharisee asked our Lord to come to his house and eat with him. And our Lord went there and ate with him. And this woman came in, a woman of awful reputation. 
So much so that this Pharisee says, this woman's a sinner. Whatever, however they define sin, this woman was it. She's probably a woman of the night. It's probably what she was. She's probably a prostitute. But they're there eating at the table, and our Lord Jesus Christ is sitting there, and this woman comes in off the streets, comes into the building where our Lord's at, eating with this man, Simon, the Pharisee, and she comes in and she's weeping at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. And she's washing His feet with her tears. And she's drying His feet with her hair. And this, you know, this offends Simon. So much that Simon says to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, not a savior, if he's a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him. For she's a sinner. That's all he got out of it. You know what that tells me? He hadn't heard a thing our Lord Jesus Christ had said. This is a man that was religious and yet dead in trespasses and sin. Knew the scriptures, knew the law, did not know God. The God who wrote it, the God who demanded satisfaction. Go read the story for yourself over in Luke 7. That's where that's from, Luke 7. But the point of that whole encounter, you know what it's all about? It was about this woman who was indeed a sinner. Was it Christ? You know what he came to seek and to save? Those who know themselves to be sinners. And you know what else he shows? It shows the effect. The effect of true forgiveness by God to sinners, shown, known, and understood. The effect it has on the recipient. And our Lord turns to this man, Simon, and he said, Simon, I got something to say to you. And he said, say on, Lord. And our Lord told him that parable about somebody owing him a million dollars or a penny. And he said, frankly, after both of them couldn't pay, he forgave them both. And he looked at Simon and he said, Simon, which of these two do you think would love the most? And Simon says, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. And our Lord Jesus said to him, Wherefore I say unto you, Simon, her sins, which are many. Now, you see, he admits our Lord, she was a sinner. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. And see, everybody gets hung up on this for she loved much, and they think she's forgiven because she loved much. No, that's telling the reason she loved much, what's happened to her? <laughs> she's seen what he's done. But to whom little is forgiven, and in Simon's case, nothing was forgiven. Everything was earned. The same, you know what? They don't have to love God. Why? Who do they love? Themselves. Now take that over to these words in this text that we're looking at. Because of such a blessed hope, the sure forgiveness of our sins, the promise of deliverance and resurrection of our bodies, what do we do? We sit on our laurels and don't care about anything. Know what we do? We labor. We labor. That word translated, we labor, I love what it means. You know what it means? It means to be actuated by love of honor. Who? Ours? No. He is. 
That's what motivates us. God's the glory. In other words, out of grace and gratitude for his great love toward us, we are motivated by love to honor him in all that we do. Paul had told these same believers, think about this now, take this into our hearts. Whether therefore you eat or you drink, now listen to this, or whatsoever you do, what does that include? Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's pretty all-encompassing, isn't it? Paul wrote, we labor that whether present or absent, oh, here we go, we may be accepted to him. Everybody says, there it is. Our labor gets us accepted. These words are not teaching you and me that our salvation's conditioned on our labor. Because if that's the case, you know what? That would be contrary to the entire tenet of the scriptures. Scriptures teach no such thing. Teach, scriptures teach us what? Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. We studied it this morning in the Sunday Bible class hour. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. What is it? It's the gift of God, not, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works which God hath before of old ordained, we should walk in them. You say, well, then what are, what, what are these words teaching us? If they're not teaching us that our works amount to something, or hey, listen, our works have value. You hear me? They got value, got no merit. Does that make sense? They have value. They are, our works are a sweet smelling savor unto God. They have no merit. The only thing that has merit before God is what? Christ and Him alone. So what does he mean by these words? What's he telling us? Well, let's think about the words. That word translated present, whether present, you know what that means? To be among one's own people. You never get that from that, would you? That's the actual definition of present, to be among one's own people. Who's one's own people in the case of a believer? I'm with God's people, the children of God, those of like precious faith. Or, the other one, absence, you know what it means? It means, a, and I, have, I didn't study English close enough. To, <laughs> it means to immigrate, E-M-I-G-R, not, not the other one. I, you know, everybody's immigrating here from coming across the border. But it's, it's what they're doing. They're E-M-I-grate. You know, they're, they're coming over here. Or it means to, to live abroad. So what's he talking about here? It's talking about... Those that aren't God's people. Those that are outside the church. That, those that we move among in our daily lives. And that word uh, accepted, you know what it means? It means well-pleasing. So whether we're among God's people, those who love and support and encourage us in the Lord, or whether we're in this world, among those who hate the gospel, hate Christ, Hate all who is his. Paul stated that of himself. He said, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Who was delivering them unto death? Those that were of the world. Would Paul do? Quit preaching? No, his heart desired and prayer to God for Israel. The one who hated him the most was what? That they might be saved. How's he going to get them saved? 
How's God going to call his elect out? I got to put my life in peril to go out there and preach the gospel. You see that? He says, what do we do? We labor. That's what we're doing. Seeking to glorify him by our words and by our activities. Made well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ our Lord. The writer of Hebrews used the same word translated accepted in this verse. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect. Here's that good work thing. Make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is, it's the same word translated accepted here in our text, well-pleasing. Working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. How does he do it? Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Folks, it's our privilege and it's our responsibility to glorify God while we are in these bodies of clay. Why? We are bought with a price. Don't you know that? We are bought with a price. What was the price of your redemption? The precious blood of his son. We are bought with a price, therefore do what? Live like you want to. Is that what you get from us? <laughs> now what? Glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which are whose? Here. But now these next words Paul uses have caused a lot of confusion, caused a lot of undue concern, even in those that Christ redeemed by his obedience unto death. But you know, in reality, they're a source of comfort and encouragement if we interpret them in light of the Scriptures. Notice what he says here. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things in his body, in body according that to, to that he hath done, whether good or bad. Now listen to me. Look up here. I want, I want to get this, this right. And I want to make certain you understand exactly what I'm saying to you this morning. In, in false religion, and we were all there, they use verses about the judgment, the final judgment, the great white throne judgment. And folks, they used it as a battering ram, did they not? And they used it as a battering ram, and the reason they used it that way was it was an attempt to keep people on the straight and narrow to keep them busy and active and coming to church and giving a tithe and, and going out in the neighborhood and doing everything, staying on the straight and narrow. That was their goal. They had, a, had a, a, a good thought, but their motive was wrong. In reality, this verse doesn't teach anything of the sort. Paul's words here have to be understood and they have to be interpreted in light of what he's already said as well as what he's about to bring forward in the following verses after this declaration that we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The very idea that we've got to stand before judgment seat of Christ, you know, it causes apprehension in us, doesn't it? In our mind. Because every one of God's saints, even the best of them, including the Apostle Paul, they understand and they feel and they confess of everything that they do. I know that in my flesh dwells what? No good thing. For the will's present with me, but how to perform it, I just don't find it. Answer me this question this morning. Which of us sitting here 
can bring anything we've ever performed, even assisted or enabled by God the Holy Spirit before the judgment seat of Christ. You want, to, you want anything you've done brought up? I, t- I don't want this sermon brought up this morning. <laughs> huh? I don't want any prayer that I've ever prayed brought up. I don't want any gift Pam or I have ever given to the church. I don't want it brought up. I don't want anything from me brought up before the judgment seat of Christ. I know when me and Kenny were growing up down in Manny years ago, I think they quit doing it. I, to be honest with you, I think they actually showed it to school sometimes when we were going there. Once a year, every year they'd come through and they'd have that big film projector with them big old reels of, about this big around on both ends of it, uh, whatever millimeter it was, and they'd set up this big screen, and usually the title of it was The Great White Throne Judgment. And they'd heard all these young kids in there, and they'd show all these tormenting pictures of people falling off into hell. And I tell you, you can scare kids into making professions of religion by doing that. Escaping hell, or desire to escape hell, or even thinking you've escaped hell is not salvation. Salvation is knowing that in spite of the fact that you deserve hell, what have you been given freely? That's salvation. But they'd show that thing. I remember getting scared to death. And I, I think the thing that I, that I remember about it more than anything else, I'd watch that and then people up there and he's at that great white throne judgment and there was that symbolism of, of God sitting up on the throne and they had that wrong because judgment's committed to the Son. <laughs> They had God sitting there and everybody coming up and giving an account. Number one, I always used to think, and I've said it here and it's always drawn a laugh, but it's true. I thought, you got to be kidding me. Everybody's got to confess everything. Because, I mean, I thought about it in my own life. It'd take a, a lifetime for me to confess. But then the next thought that always come across my mind was, my mama's going to know. Or my grandma anime's going to know. They all see that. No concern about what God thinks. That's what most kids think by nature. They think sins against mama or daddy or grandma or grandpa or their friends or, you know, against the government or whatever. It's, it's, it's not against God. And I know most religious people think that every single solitary person on the planet that's ever existed, past, present, future, going to save their loss, they're going to they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Give an account of every single solitary thing that they've ever done or said. And I do agree with them in this respect. According to this verse, everybody's going to appear before this judgment seat of Christ. Everybody, without exception. But here's the thing. I wholeheartedly disagree with the error concerning how how God's redeemed are going to appear before this judgment seat. Because I tell you this, I'm quite certain the Apostle Paul's design in writing these words, it wasn't to cause anxiety and fear in these believers. It wasn't. Or create doubt in them. Think back to what he had said. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What did he tell them by that? You're saved. And then he's going to turn around and say, now you've got to get an account? You've got to answer for what you've done. He said, knowing that he which raised up Jesus Christ, our Lord, by Jesus also, what's he going to do with you? He'll present you 
with him. That's 2 Corinthians 4, verse 14. Let me show you what I think these words Paul's saying here mean. That word translated appear, you know what it means? It means to make manifest or visible or known what had been previously, previously hidden or unknown. John put it like this, the world doesn't know us. Now, we're children of God. The world don't know it. They're going to know it here. Uh-huh. They're going to know it here. Here's the same word. When Christ, who is our life, shall, there's the same word, appear. Makes himself manifest. Then shall we, who? His elect, his redeemed, shall we appear. What? There's the same word. Should be made manifest. What was previously hidden. He said this, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. That's confidence. We're the sons of God. But listen to this. It does not appear yet what we shall be. But we know this. When he shall appear, what are we going to be then? We're going to be like him. Like him in what respect? He's the eternal, well-pleasing, beloved Son of God. And when He appears, what are we going to be all? We're going to be right there in Him, accepted in the beloved. This appearance before the judgment seat of Christ, for those redeemed by His blood, you know what it is? It's a declarative judgment. That's all it is. For the unregenerate, the reprobate, you know what this judgment seat is? It's to their condemnation. I love what Robert Hawker wrote on this passage. It's pretty lengthy, but I want you to listen to this, and you can look it up for yourself. It's a great little paragraph. He said, For while all unawakened, unregenerate, and unrenewed man must stand, men must stand awfully condemned before God, we are expressly told here that there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. For they are passed from death into life, and are freely justified in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. Sweet thought to the children of God. God's people are saved now with an everlasting salvation. Their right and title to the co all covenant blessings and mercy is found in Christ, so that as they are justified now, they cannot be condemned then. They must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the righteous as well as the wicked, him that feareth God as well as him that feareth not God, but with a different view, very different view. The wicked, the Scripture saith, shall be turned into hell with all those that forget God. But the ransomed in Zion, the believing justified saints, are said to return with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They are to have the whole covenant... Now, this, this is what this appearance is. They are to have the whole covenant transactions laid open to their own view. I mean, we, I, I know I'm saying, envision what it's going to be like when we don't have to look through these clouded lenses of this old Adamic nature anymore. Huh? 
And not only their acquittal from all law charges, all demands of justice, and all claims of obligation proclaimed before the congregated world of men and angels, but their appearance in Christ, their oneness and right of union with Christ, most fully established and confirmed by this judgment forever. Do you see the beauty of this glorious manifestation of the sons of God? Uh-huh. That's what we're waiting for according to Romans chapter 8. We've grown and travailing, waiting for the manifestation, the revelation of the sons of God. Maybe you're thinking, well, what about the last part of that verse, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he had done, whether it be good or bad. Do you want anything? You want to receive anything for anything you've done? Huh? You remember in, in your former religion, you ever remember singing this song? Will there be any stars in my crown? Huh? You ever remember that song? Oh, we'll work. <laughs> I do. I do. But here's the thing. Whatever's talked about here as far as good works, the reward of good works, folks, it's a reward of grace. It's not a reward of merit on the part of one that's performed it. If we have any good works, you know where they came from? We were predestinated to them. Paul understood this completely, and he gave all the glory of God. He said this, and we'll quit with this. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Well, that, that weighed heavy on his soul. You know, he had been evil. Persecuting the church of God. Those that now he loves and defends, he formerly tried to kill them all. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed, freely given upon me, was not in vain. And listen to this, because this sounds like boasting, but it's reality. He says, but I labored more abundantly than all of them. Paul, Peter, James, John, he said, I've labored more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. You see that? He couldn't even take credit for it. The only reason he did what he did, Sal, God worked it through him. Totally and completely. This is what our Lord declared to the father of the faithful. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, for I am thy shield. And I love this. And thy exceeding great reward. <laughs> what do you want? Will there be any stars in my crown? Christ is our reward. He's our crown. He's the stars in the crown. His righteousness and his obedience is mine. Except your righteousness, Richard Wormack, exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You will in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. His righteousness is mine. Huh? And it's been made mine in such a way as if I myself had done it. Except your righteousness. It's ours. And by God's grace, through Christ alone, 
It's the desire and hope of all those who know and feel themselves to be sinners. Not what my head have done. <laughs> not now, not ever. It's what he's done. I, I hope that I hadn't muddied the water. I hope that something that I've said will be of comfort and encouragement to those who know and feel themselves to be sinners in need of a blessed Savior. Let's stand together when we dismiss. Appreciate your presence. Lord, keep you until we see you next Lord's Day. Buddy, if you would, dismiss us, please.